Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Yellow Card Podcast on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Stephen Brandt, and I am back from my vacation from life, or basically just picking up my dad from the airport last week. Well, we have a huge show this week, and I'm going to credit both of us on this. We have coming up pretty soon in, in the next half hour, Mariana Bernstein. He's the CEO of Boca Juniors, and just just to accentuate the point better, I am wearing, I'm wearing my new Boca Juniors scarf so anyway i want to thank keith and yeah, matt and yeah don't cry for him argentina <laughs> yeah yeah i want to thank the boys doesn't mean i'm a complete idiot i have some cultural knowledge yeah but, no you, you as my as i could tell through the thousands of emails we have i mean there's a there's a lot of knowledge there well i want to welcome on i want to welcome on mariano hello hello Hello, Mariana. Welcome to the show. Yeah, hi. It's Mariana Valentin from Boca Juniors. Yeah, hi. You're, you're, How's you're it on going? Air with Steven. Good. I, we wanted to have you on, but we wanted to have you on for a couple reasons. One, I saw that you guys are launching your Boca Juniors USA Academy. I wanted, I wanted to hear some more about that. Okay. Sounds perfect. So, um... So basically, we uh, we've been working this project for the last two years. Um, this is the first time that the club opened his own academy outside Argentina, and the club outside Argentina. We have more than 40, 42 academies around the world, you know, on the franchise model. But um, we decided as a club because we like to build a professional team here. Say instead of to sell the brand, say we need to do it by ourselves. So we decided to to do a research, and we did that for the last two years. Uh, and I've been working in this project for the last two years. Um, basically, try to see how we can approach the American market. And that's why we decided to build the, the club from the bottom up first. And, and that's why we decided to do that uh, in terms of that. And we did the research, uh, demographics, and everything. And we decided the first place was Long Island, New York. So that's why... We uh, we are opening the academy next week. We've been having tryouts more than uh, 700 kids tryout last week. So so we're very excited of that. So but again, I can speak about the project for days. So if you like to ask uh, any questions, feel free free to do it. Well, first of all, the one thing you mentioned that I found intriguing is you talk about uh, the brand, uh, you know, expanding the brand of the club. And, you know, this is something we're seeing a lot of from European clubs. We're seeing a lot of them doing things to increase the awareness of the club here in the United States. But I don't recall any of the big South American clubs doing this prior to it. I mean, obviously, you know, Boca River, one of the world's most famous derbies, of course. Even, you know, even casual soccer fans know of that one. And, you know, face it, for pure passion, I think the only derby that really approaches that is the Derby della Capitale in Italy, Roma, and, uh, and uh, Lazio. So is this something that you see maybe 
more of the bigger South American clubs doing it as far as, like you said, expanding their brand, expanding their knowledge of the club here in the United States? Well, first of all, our approach for the American market is different because we really we don't know anything about the American market. Uh, so, so basically, we are here. And we know we need to learn from that, and we say we'll try to build a team from the bottom up. Learn from the experience, and and basically, we say instead of to come in here for, if you see what other clubs that they're doing, and I'm not saying if it's a good or a bad thing, uh, they're coming to US for two reasons. The first one is scouting. They would like to find talent so they can bring that kids to, to their countries. That's one objective that they have. And other clubs, what they're trying to do is they trying to monetize their brand so they can sell a friendly matches so they can make money and they can sell uh, merchandise because this is a huge market to do that. In an our uh, opinion, in, in, in our approach, it's a completely different one. Because our idea is trying to have a professional team here in U.S. as a long term, but basically we know we have a very a great opportunity in terms of a development uh, problem that the U.S. having. Here, as you know, Boca Juniors is it's the first one in terms of exporting talent from our academy in Argentina. We have 250 active players playing in Premier Leagues around the world. And for us, it's a great opportunity because we think we can add a lot of value to the market in terms of developing American players. So we are here for the American market, not for trying to have uh, to, to, to do scouting from American, for American kids to send to our city. We are trying to build a brand here from the bottom up and learn from, from that. So it's like a long-term... Uh, project, we are uh, trying to have our own infrastructure in terms of having our own uh, physical place so we can play and do that. Again, it's a learning process, so we understand that that will take time, and we are willing to do that. Does it help, does it help that you are coming in as Boca Juniors? You're, you're not an unknown you're not an unknown club in the world. It's not like you're some fourth or fifth division Argentinian club. Your Boca Juniors worldwide known. I mean, us in the States who we get Argentina soccer selectively, but you guys are very well known. Does this, has it helped that you got, you're coming in as Boca Juniors as, as an Argentinian club that people know that you can go in and say, this is what we do, this is who we've been, and this is what we want to do instead of grab, grab, grab. Has yeah. your name made it easier? Yes. <laughs> yes, of course. You know, every every people say, like, a lot of people ask me, why? Why why Boca Juniors is in the U.S.? And, and basically, what I try to say is we have a, we are a non-profit organization based in Argentina. In two days from now, we'll have, like, 109 years old institution. Um, and we are very famous in terms of development players. That's that's our knowledge. That's how we became famous on the last 15 or 20 years. We we had a very uh, unique players, and we developed a lot of kids that now you see around the world, and they came from the Boca Juniors Academy. And, of course, we were very famous because we invest 
in an hour under division, and that's why we won a lot of international championships in the last 10, 15 years. And that's how we build our club, because we think we need to build from the bottom up and we need to invest in our kids, not go and buy best kids and, and build teams, because we don't believe in that. That's how we started our club uh, more than 100 years ago. So, so we have that. And in addition of that, what we have is the passion part. We have, uh, like, uh, our brand is not like a, like a beautiful uh, kind of the best uh, beautiful kind of a game. We are like a passion guys who are playing with their hearts, and they love their T-shirt. They love their club. Uh, so it's a completely different thing, and I think we have a great opportunity here in the U.S. because um, the Hispanic population has helped us very good in terms of that because they are growing so fast in different levels in terms of power, politics, influence, and, of course, uh, in terms of the income. So I think it's a great opportunity for our brand, and I think it's a great opportunity for the soccer, because at the end, if we can improve the development, we can set the bar high to another soccer club, and I think that will get a better level at the end. Yeah, well, you talk about the passion uh, with the club. I mentioned you know, that uh, it's always been a hallmark uh, of, the Argentine, of the Argentine game uh, for both the players as well as the uh, as the supporters, uh, so there's just there's there's nothing quite uh, like a Boca River matchup. Even uh, well, what I remember was yeah, it was, yeah. a, it was a, there was a match in between tournaments because you have the tournament system rather than the league, and it was being, it was a Fox Soccer Channel. Max Bredos who was still with Fox Soccer Channel, and mentioned it being a friendly, and then he re- and then he said, you know, when Boca plays River, there's nothing friendly about it. Uh, and I know if you took um, if you were to cut uh, Diego Maradona, uh, I'm not sure if his blood would be red or blue and gold. I really uh, that's that yeah. 50-50 proposition. One of the things in the United States with the growing Hispanic market now, of course, the fact that is it's obviously the Hispanic population here in America is more derived from Central America rather than South. But I'm guessing you you still see that as an advantage to your club still being, you know, from a Spanish-speaking country. Am I right? Yes, completely. And, and I think one other thing is, you know, now the best player in the world is an Argentinian guy. And, of course, he's not the Boca yes. Juniors, but, uh, um, but he's uh, the best player now. And, and the people relate to the Argentinian uh, soccer. And, and basically, when you ask about that... Um, the Bar- Barcelona and Boca are the only ones who have a partnership in terms of a development program because we have a, a very deep um, relation in terms of of development players and the methodology we did it together. Um, so I think that helped us a lot, and 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 this year it's a very it's a very nice momentum for the for the soccer here in US um, because it's a World Cup. So. So, of course, U.S. had a very tough draw at the World Cup, and I hope they will, they will pass that. But, but I think in terms of, of how it's improving everything, and, of course, it's a lot of things to improve. I'm very critical of, of the U.S. Federation and, and, of course, MLS and, and all of that. But, um, but I think they, they improved a lot in the last three, five years, and I think it's a, it's a room to grow. 
now, you talk about the, the U.S. structure uh, as far as that's concerned. I know this right now you're just doing this as an academy setup. Um, is there is there any uh, looking toward the future? Any uh, thought to maybe putting a forming an actual club to put in a league such as may, whether it be uh, you know, the NASL or even USL Pro Division? Well, we we've been doing some research in terms of the if you see now the best teams that they're doing in terms of numbers at the MLS are the the, the teams that came through the USL Pro franchise first, and after that they right. moved to MLS. Um, we think it's uh, the organic thing. It's go through another division, and after that go to to the other level. So so that's that's the uh, the opportunity that, that we see right now. But again, it's something that we really decide yet because we're just opening the first academy. We're thinking to open the second one in uh, in 18 months from now on in Austin, Texas, and we're uh, trying to open the other one in three years from now. So we're trying to have like a, trying to have kids uh, in and out under divisions to build the club. Um, and that's that's how we are trying to do that. What what is going in? What is going into the decision for going into Long Island, Austin? I mean, what's making you pick these places outside of going to a place like Portland, St. Louis? I mean, you're picking some really unique areas for soccer. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very good question. Um, First of all, um, for, for us, New York is the capital of the, of the soccer right now uh, in terms of the demographics and in terms of the interests of the soccer. And, and that is contradictory because in terms of infrastructure, you don't have a lot of infrastructure here in, in New York. So you don't have like a year-round program. You don't have a lot of indoor facilities during winter, for example. If you see um, like a... Famous players, uh, New York didn't develop a lot on the last years or so. So that's one thing. When we decided to go to Long Island, we thought Long Island has like almost 300,000 kids playing soccer uh, per week. So it's a huge market in terms of that. And you don't have a lot of uh, good academies, I can say. Uh, it's more on the money-making Model, so they are not thinking of the development culture, uh, and I, and when we did the research in terms of demographics and and amount of uh, soccer players, um, Long Island is a great market because you have a lot of influence for the Hispanic population. Uh, you have Queens, like uh, 20, 30 minutes. We are having a lot of kids from Queens flashing, that are applying to the academy, and uh, and because we are offering some scholarships. We are trying to get the best kids, and we are trying to help them if we can. Um, so that's in terms of the decision of the Long Island. In terms of why we decide the second one is Austin, Texas, it's more or less the same reason. It's you have a huge uh, opportunity in terms of of demographic. You have more than a million uh, people living there. They have a very good income in terms of affording to pay an academy um, here in in, in U.S compared to Argentina, the playing soccer is very expensive for families. Um, but again, in terms of that, Texas has a very good uh, 
future in terms of sponsorship. It's a very good state to do that. And the land is kind of accessible compared to other places like, like New York, for example. But I think it, uh, what we decided uh, was to go to non-conventional markets right now and trying to have that uh, as an approach to the market and learn from that. That's, that's why we decided that. Well, there's a few so, people no, here. You're, you're, I'm, I'm in Columbus, Ohio. I was having it in Columbus, Ohio. There would probably be a few people here who would love to see you set up something here uh, because you're one of uh, one of our most beloved players. Uh, so you're very familiar. I'm sure yeah. uh, Guillermo Barrasquiloto was a hugely yes. popular figure during yeah, this exactly. time. And, he was, and yeah. so uh, the, it wasn't unusual to see an occasional Boca scarf uh, at, at a crew match when he was playing here. In fact, in fact, last year a lot of people were talking about maybe trying to lure him away from uh, Landis, where he coaches right now, try to get him back here to, to coach the crew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the thing is, because they classified to the Libertadores, he was preferring to go to with right. Lanús, staying right. there. But again, uh, we are in conversation with a, with a very nice facility in Ohio in terms of hosting some programs there. So again, sure. we are trying to do some camps, maybe, in another part, so we can... Again, so we can discover other kids around the country and trying to bring into the to the Boca Juniors experience. Well, I, I know a couple of your countrymen who might be able to help you out. They they played for uh, they, they they played professionally here as well as uh, uh, some time with uh, Independiente as well. So I'll, I'll, if you need them, let me know. I'll try to get you in touch with them. So sorry, can you say it again? <laughs> I, I, I know a couple of Argentines who played professionally here in uh, the States back in the uh, 1980s. They also played uh, briefly for uh, Independiente before they came up here. So if you, if you need some Argentine contacts here in Ohio, I can get you in touch with a couple of people. <laughs> okay, so, sounds perfect. So, so again, I, I think it's a great opportunity. I'm, I'm heading to another meeting right now. But, uh, but of course, I'm, I'm really glad that we spoke. And, and of course, I'm, I'm happy oh, so to speak wait. with you in another time. And of course, with with uh, with the academy established, we can we can talk more with specifics with that. But I think it's uh, first. Thank you very much for inviting me to to the program, and and of course, well, thank uh, you for your time. We greatly appreciate it. Yes, and uh, and of course, we can we can uh, set up another time and, and try to sure. to you know oh, talk sure. more specific. Okay. Yes, All right. Thanks, no problem. Thanks very, thank you very much again. Okay. Thank you so much. Now, I, I want to I want to step off of that. I, I because when I originally wanted to talk about this, I was I was interested in him coming and talking about how he was developing because I saw this as kind of a backhanded way for them to get players down to Boca Juniors. And had he come out and said that, I would have had no problem with it. No, I, I think no, one of the I, problems the, these these big teams have is that they think we have a problem with them taking our players? No. Because no. the great Simon, Simon Allen will will attest to this. I would have no problem, and let's let, to be honest, let's use your son as an example. Say he's, an all, he's a developing goalkeeper. You have any problem with him going to Boca Juniors? Oh, no. I'll, I'll, if I can, uh, if there's something around here, uh, absolutely, I wouldn't have any problem with with somebody else. It's not. It's yeah. not like. Um, I mean, first of all, it's not like I, I'm, assuming, I'm assuming it's not like he'd be contractually about be bound to play for them 
by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, it's uh, if he is, if he is, and they want him bad, then hey, I'm not gonna believe it. You know, if so, if Boca Juniors think my kid is good enough to join them, hey, I consider that a compliment. You know, I, I and I'm not try, and I'm not saying you know, as a knock against uh, the crew because they've done a terrific job with their you with their uh, youth academies as well. But and, you know, let's face it, there is a prestige attached to the name Boca Juniors. You know, there, there, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, what, and it's one of the things that we've talked about this a lot before with the youth soccer structure in this country. You know, it is so much of a pay-to-play setup. And because of that, what you're dealing with is you, you're, if you're responsible for such a club, you've got all these parents who are standing around watching you and saying, we paid an awful lot of money for this, we spent all this money on uniforms, we spent all this money on travel. I don't give a flying rat's you-know-what about player development or anything else. I want that silverware. And when we go away for a tournament weekend, I want that trophy. I want my kid hoist that trophy. It's so, it becomes results-based because people are putting money into it and they expect an immediate tangible return on it. So, no, I don't have a problem with this, with this sort of, of setup. I certainly, do, I certainly think that you know, the academy setup, and this is you know, Simon's talked about Pilates, where the academy setup is definitely better in terms of pure player development because the idea is, is to show them, hey, here's the professionals. You get to see them. You get to interact with them. This is what it takes. You, know, you won't see that in the standard youth soccer structure on these independent clubs, which you know, you know, smack a little bit of AAU basketball or the the seven on seven football. We're seeing a huge growth in as well. So you know, no, no, no. I there is nothing wrong with these other clubs coming in and doing this sooner or later because these kids, yeah, they might it might be a foreign club running the academy, but ultimately. These kids, at least, you know, most of them, are, they're either American citizens or they have the chance to play for the U.S. national team. And certainly, it, it, that's, it's not like this kid's going to, you know, play for, you know, go, go through an academy run by Boca Juniors and say, hey, I'm going to go play for Argentina now. That's not how it works. The American player and the American setup, whether it be the national team or MLS or any other professional leagues, are ultimately going to benefit from this. And people need to to understand this and get away from the, the xenophobic attitude of these four clubs trying to poach our players because that's not that's not necessarily the case, especially as you said with Boca Juniors what he's what he's doing, they're just sort of an academy. They're not setting up their own team. You know, there was some I was looking at um at their uh, Wikipedia page and there was some talk uh, a few uh, no, back back in two thousand seven of that possibility coming, but that hasn't happened yet. So this is this is not a case of poaching. This is a case of developing. And as you said, as you said, it's about building the brand. Because as, as I mentioned before, this is not something you've seen from any sort of South American clubs. I can't think of any other big South American club that has tried to establish any sort of presence here, whether it be an academy or just getting their name out there. We've seen it with a number of European clubs, and they're doing it in other places, such as Asia in particular. But you know, this is this to me is, is something unique. For a South American club, so I would, I, I personally would worry about any poaching accusations. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at this as a, a good thing. I mean, you, you've got, and Boca has has taken players down to, into their academy from the United States before. So this is not like this is not like the first time. And I mean, you you got to remember that Chivas has lost play, Chivas has lost players 
go overseas before. There's a kid that's playing with um, Derek Ritchie's team. Well, it's not really Derek Ritchie's team, but with the Indy 11 that's, that's from New Mexico, but he's playing in, he's playing in, Nor- in Norway for mold, for M-O-L-D-E, where Josh Gatt and Sam Cunningham are. I find no, absolutely no problem with this, but the, the enlightening thing in this is them say, the CEO of Boca Juniors saying they want a franchise here in the States. That says something to me, that you don't hear River Plate up here. You don't hear Corinthians. Pendentian uh, is not up here. Boca came up, and they're wanting yeah, to start that, somewhere. Yeah, the, and the... Yeah, the the big South American clause. So you obviously you've got you've got Boca and River in Argentina. Uh, you've got you know, clubs like you know, uh, Fluminense and Flamengo in Brazil. But you know, the financial structure makes it a little more difficult. Obviously, they don't. You know, you see a lot of the prominent South American players going to play in Europe. Uh, it's not uncommon, and some and in some cases even coming here. To MLS, I mentioned Guillermo Barrasquillo coming here. You also have uh, Federico Iguain as well, who I want to bring up later on, talking about the crew. Um, you, it's it's a little bit it's a little more difficult for them in terms of the financial structure to come here. But uh, but ultimately, he benefit, and I that's why I brought up about the, the language thing. Yeah, the, the the Hispanic population in this country is predominantly of Central American origin, but you, they're probably I'm sure they're aware. Of what goes on in South America, certainly you know, there's uh, you know, the, the the Copa Libertadores competition is huge uh, as well, and it's something you know uh, that I'm sure a lot of Central Americans pay attention to. So I mean, those people know the names Boca Juniors, they know River Plata, they know Fluminense, they know Flamengo, they know Vasco da Gama, they know they know who these clubs are at least. Uh, and I know the Brazilians they speak Portuguese, but it's still they they have an eye for that, and so. It's just it's just doing. I think what, what Boca is doing in terms of you know, you know, let's get an academy going first. You know, build a stru- build a base structure, and then see about going on to uh, putting a club team. I think it's a very smart idea for the South American clubs, especially even for the most prominent ones, even for less prominent ones, especially. You know, you do, you don't. It's to me, you don't want to put the cart before the horse. And I think Boca, with what they're doing, they're doing it the right way. I say, you know, for a Manchester United, uh, uh, Celtic, Real Madrid, uh, AC Milan, clubs like that are already known here. If they want to do, so, if they want to try to put some kind of club together, like you know, it's, it's maybe not the way Manchester City do with New York City FC, but if they want to put a, a, a club uh, in one of the lower leagues. It wouldn't be a big issue for them because those clubs are known here. So I, th- I think Boca's way of doing it, establishing an academy and that kind of a presence first, I think is a smart way to do it for them. Well, yeah, obviously. I mean, I w- I've seen no problem in this, and I've wondered why Man U hasn't put a, te- hasn't put a team over here, hasn't, didn't go into Tampa and buy up the old v- VSI Tampa team and just bring some of their youth teams over. Because it, Man United doesn't use their youth players. They just they go willy-nilly. Whereas you can send a group of players over here, and as long as they haven't signed their pro terms, they can play in college. I mean, 
I I have I don't see why some of the because you you have a lot of these and you can attest to this, Keith, where you have a lot of these young these teams that are starting up that just really don't have any financial backing that fall apart. I mean, I've seen three fall apart in in Buffalo, New York, for God's sakes. To get a to get a um, Argentinian team to get a like even Hereford well Hereford's going to go bust in a day or two, but you know what I mean. Something like that where you could bring in a coaches or a former player or two. I mean, what's not saying that um, Stuart Pierce doesn't bring over Nottingham Forest when he takes the team over? That something yeah, like that where you, you yeah you talk about about college uh, kids uh, and college eligibility and stuff. See, this is where the the NPSL would be uh, maybe a good place to start because you've got uh, it's similar because obviously it's similar to the summer baseball leagues, such as the Cape Cod League, where yeah, players there are professional players there, but a college eligible per, uh, player can play in this league as long as he's only not receiving any payment for that. He can receive room and board and travel expenses as long as he can still play with these professionals but maintain his eligibility. I think that might be something you see somewhere down the line. Uh, you know, a couple of uh, I know a couple of teams like USL Pro teams and even MLS uh, have uh, have teams in this in this league, and I think it'd be something uh, that uh, some of the European teams might look into uh, somewhere down the line, especially in terms of that younger talent that's still playing uh, at the at the uh, especially if they're going to be putting together some kind of academy for kids who are in the high school and going to their college years that would be a good place uh, to start in terms of having an actual club structure in place. Yeah, I mean, and I'm th- this was enlightening because, I mean, Bo- Boca's known up here. I mean, yeah, obviously oh, yeah. we're no- known in Argentina. They're known in Argentina, and Argentina is known for Messi and all the great players that have come through. But this is something good. And I, you know what? I think as much as we are a – go to it now, find it online type of society where we don't where we DVR everything or we have something like Apple TV where you just order up a you order up a channel or you can find anything online. I mean, I found on my tablet the the complete um, series of Hunter. So works for but me. anyway. <laughs> Yeah, if I showed you my list on Hulu of what I'm watching, you, you'd you'd question if I'm actually 35. So no, no, no well, yeah, I, I used to watch Hunter a lot with the with the uh, the ex-wife. Hate to mention that, but because uh, she thought Fred Dreyer was really good looking, so uh, so yeah, I remember that show quite a bit. I re- I remember when Fred Dreyer was playing for the Rams. I should have I should have known back then he'd end up in Hollywood. He was that kind of Flake. I mean, he's a he's a terrific player, but he was a bit of a flake. So um, the fact that he went into acting was no shock at all. Yeah. Well, I, the, the one of the things I wanted to bring up to you, and I, I saw the hubbub about this, and I, I kind of stoked this fire. Is the, is the red issue people flying that plane over Old Trafford? I mean, you're a noted Man United fan, and you're, you're not. You don't blame David Moyes. I mean. No, I don't, and I think the vast majority of the supporters don't. If you listen to these crowds at these matches, I, and you hear some of the comments, I think the vast majority of the supporters 
are smart enough to understand this is going to take some time. And Moyes is not getting the blame. The heat is mostly coming from the media. And, you know, with the, the English families, they, they, they love to fan the flames and get things stirred up. And, of course, things are different over there in terms of the, the media culture, the loss, and things of that nature. Yeah, I saw the play. I know there are some people who don't think Moyes the answer. That's fine. If they want to do that sort of thing, hey, that's their money. I wish they'd throw it at me instead. But, hey, if I'm, I'm you know, I... I if uh, if the world if the world were truly fair, I'd have been with Mel Gibson's looks and Wayne Gretzky's athletic ability. So take that for what it's worth. But no, I think most, most people seem to understand. Voice is not the problem. That airplane flyer had my minor. It's it's over and done with. I don't think anybody's going to bring it up much again. Uh, I don't think uh, the certainly the people at the club probably paid it very little attention, and it's you know, just. Uh, it, it's it's no different than what we see people do on social media. So it, it, it was just done. It was just done in, in a physical sense rather than an electronic sense. Yeah, which which is yeah. I'm glad you bring up the social networking thing, and I'm going to step this a little bit aside. But I, and I, were you are are you already annoyed with April Fools? I was annoyed with it when I opened up my eyes this morning. It it, dep- it depends. If you, I will, I like a good April Fool's joke as long as somebody puts some thought into it. You brought up the one that I thought this was a pretty good one. Colorado Rapids did an April Fool's joke about their throwback kit. Now, for those of you who don't know, they had a team in the North American Soccer League back in the 1970s called the Colorado Caribous. They are most, they are best known for having light for, for tan and black jerseys, which at chest level has leather fringe dangling down, like you'd see on jackets that your uh, cowboys and ranchers would wear. And they put this picture up online of them wearing these kits. I thought that, that was a good gag, because they put some thought into it, and they understood you know, throwback stuff, even in MLS. We're seeing it in MLS now. Galaxy had a throwback jersey last year. They, this was a good joke because some thought went into it. The only problem with this joke, I look at the pictures, they did one minor mistake. The socks they're wearing have the modern Adidas logo and not the old trefoil style. If they'd have done that, it would have been perfect. But a good, as long as the April Fool's prank has shows some thought and some prior planning, I love it. It's one that people are obviously just you know, grasping at straws or just throwing something out there. Uh, the one, one of the, you know, there was one here in Columbus a while back with one of the local uh, morning radio teams where they pulled a joke uh, where Les Wexner, who owns the uh, the Limited Corporation, is a huge contributor to the Ohio State University. Uh, one of the companies he owns is Bath and Body Works, and they put they pulled a gag on one of the guys on the team saying that they that he that Les Wexner contributed this insane amount of money to Ohio State to have Ohio Stadium renamed Bath and Body Works Stadium. And which was a great gag, except if you understand, uh, if you know Columbus here, anytime Mr. Wexter contributes money to something to do with the university, his name is the one that goes on it, and not one of his companies. And, but but they obviously thought about this and realized with naming rights deals being what they are today, it was it at least on the surface sounded believable. So yeah, put some thought into a practical joke in April Fool's Day, and I love it. Now, one of the reasons why I'm bringing that up is I want, I want you guys to go follow Mark Frischkin on, on, 
on Twitter. He he is the he is the host of Seeing Red a New York Red Bulls podcast and he writes for Empire of Soccer. Now there have been various random jokes on Twitter all night. I mean and I, I, I even put one up of Keith saying that he had taken over Nottingham Forest, which I completely Yeah, you got that the wrong club. It should have been, been Quality Town. It would have been more believable. <laughs> I, I, I stole that one completely from Stan Collymore because he did that last night because he, know, he knows uh, he knows um, Stuart Pierce well. Well, right. Well, well I, Mark, anytime I mention the same breath with Stan Collymore, I'll gladly take it. <laughs> I'm not going to complain about that. Well, say, well, the, Mark Frischkin goes on, on here, and now if you know, if you've read his writings or listened to Seeing Red, he is so anti DC United, it's almost funny. He goes on, he goes on his Twitter just as he's going to work and says, "I have accepted the VP job at DC United," and a bunch of people blow up. I think Grant, I think Grant Wall fell for it or was just playing with him because. Grant Wall is one of those no, great, great, great writer, great writer. But he's he's hilarious on Facebook, Facebook and Twitter because he he troll he trolls a lawless all the time. And well, I troll lawless, but that's easy. And he got himself now the social networking part of this is that he he got trending in DC as the VP of DC United. A noted <laughs> hater. Noted hater. And the, the other one that was hilarious, and you guys have all know this, I listen to the soccer morning pretty religiously. I, I, I evoke Jason James' name whenever I can possibly do it. So any, so anyway, um, I want, this morning, um, Trevor Hayward, to give a little breath of this, uh, Jason Davis walks, opens up the show and says, there's going to be no... There's going to be no pranks this morning. Uh, if you if you have to fall for one of them, you have to fall for one of them. Trevor Hayward, who is there, is the producer for all of the shows. Is actually a really funny guy, and he's hey oh yeah he's hey Hayward. Twitter, follow him. He's a, he's actually a great guy. He goes on Twitter Definitely. because he's got the access to the Soccer Morning Soccer Morning Twitter account, and goes Soccer Morning has has gone to. Sirius XM, and we will be there at the end of the month. Now, in and of itself, if you think about it, that's not that bad. I mean, you've probably said far stranger things, Keith. Yeah. <laughs> but again, this is what they what? He obviously thought about it, and it's one that you, you can could, you could see happening. You know, because first of all, I, I think they, they, along with us, should both have a podcast. I'm sure we had Sirius XM by now. <laughs> oh, yes. And the side note to that is uh, the side note is that as well, Soccer Morning is also podcasted on uh, it's also on YouTube, so you get to see Jason Davis when dirt, certain things are happening. You see Jason Davis just go, "Oh crap!" <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's joke. It's like it's like the old. I'm not sure who said it, but there's an old expression that real humor needs to have an element of truth to it. The same thing applies to practical jokes. There has to be a certain amount of possibility or believability to it. You think, yeah, this might have happened, you know? Because it's, uh, I, and you have to, and sometimes you have to be careful. The one, the one I remember that uh, it was actually a real story that got ignored or put off for a long time was when Brent Musburger's contract at CBS was no longer renewed. 
they had CBS announced it on April 1st, and there were a lot of writers and a lot of media outlets who sat on the story thinking this was some kind of gag. So, so yeah, there, there has to be some, some believability to it to also make it work. If it sits us too far out, nobody's going to buy it, and they're going to rest, hey, April Fool to you, too. Yeah, exactly. And I'm glad Keith brought this up. Um, we are trying to expand the show. Um, what has happened in the last week or so, I have approached iTunes and Stitcher to to um, distribute the show. We're, we're here for you guys, for the fans. So in the next couple of weeks, you'll hear me sign off, or when Keith has the show, we want you to go to iTunes for ratings and reviews. And what we mean that. We're not, we're not sitting here. We don't, we don't want our egos too inflated. Well... Sort of. Um, we want to hear the good and the bad. If, we're, if you want us to cover something, trust us. We'll, we'll cover it. I mean, we've covered NPSL teams, and we're still trying to cover NPSL teams. But we're well, working on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, well, no, actually, we did. Um, Nick Bandola in Ju- in January. He he's yep. a, um, yes. he's the owner of FC Buffalo. I, I completely yep. forgot. Right, we did. I, 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 and, and another. And another one that I'm working on, in fact, I just heard from him today, uh, in the uh, MPSL down in Spartanburg, South Carolina, new team starting this year, Upward Stars. And this is this is a rather unique setup. It's an outgrowth of Upward Sports, which is a, a, a national uh, faith-based youth sports league. They, they do many, many different sports uh, for, for youth. And, um, but, they, this is the, but then now they're, they've, got, they've got some academies, for higher-level players once they reach teenage years, but now they're starting an actual MPSL club. And to me, this is a rather unique thing, a national youth sports organization putting together a professional club. I mean, imagine if the AAU decided to put a team in the NBA's D-League or if Little League Baseball put a team in one of those independent Class A leagues like the Northern League. That's the kind of, that's what we're looking at here. So we're, we're going to have someone from them... Uh, Come on as well because it's obvious, it's great it's a rather unique uh, structure they have because yeah you know, there, there I've seen a couple of clubs do this with the professional team because of the outgrowth of the youth club most notably uh, Detroit Watts SC in the professional arena soccer league they started the Spooner Brothers started it as a youth program and eventually started the uh, professional team they have in both both divisions of the uh, PASL but this is the Upward Stars is a rather Unique story, and we're going to we're looking forward to having someone from them uh, come on here in the next couple of weeks if they get started for their first MPSL season. So yeah, if it involves the world of soccer, we'll talk about it. If there's, if there, if there's anybody who wants to, well, it doesn't matter what level, doesn't matter what gender, doesn't matter what country, we don't care. If, if it's soccer, we'll talk about it. We're not beholden, we're not beholden or partial to anybody. No, no. I mean, yeah, we're both we're both huge fans of big teams, but I mean, I, I don't want my Liverpool stuff going out, and no, I did not upload, you never walk alone, so you don't have to worry about that one this week. <laughs> I can get you a good copy of it if you want it. <laughs> it is what's funny, it's actually on my phone. I Yeah. I actually downloaded it when I got this phone as a ringtone. And never used yeah, see, it. See, that's what I need. That's what I need to do. I need to get the Ohio Youth Choir did it two years ago because of the theme that year was Walk Together, and they naturally did this. And uh, I need to get our, our, our recording of that to use as your ringtone 
<laughs> for that right guy. If I'm if I'm going to have that song in my phone, I want the best version I can get. And I'm I'm sorry for fans of Jerry and the Pacemakers or whoever. That's the best version. <laughs> but I'm biased, I know. <laughs> oh, of course, I, I would expect nothing worse. Um, I don't know. Did you get to see the um, menu um, Munichking today? I did not get to see it yet. Uh, I've been reading the report about it though, and I got I have to tell you. If you had told me beforehand that this would happen, I'd try to turn a cartwheel. I thought there was not a snowball's chance that the that, that menu could get any sort of result that would give them any sort of hope in Munich, and they got it. Even though they were really outplayed in the first half, and out, <coughs> excuse me, it outplayed a lot, and uh, David De Gea had to make a big save on Arjen Robin in that first half as well, but... To, I mean, admittedly, you know, yeah, one more draw, I mean, you can see it in a way going, oh, that that's not good. But it gives you the life, having a one more draw, it gives them a lifeline where they go to Munich for the return. There is a pot. They've got a chance. And for Bayern, and for both teams, it's a rather interesting situation. For Bayern, obviously, they've already won the Bundesliga. It's over with. They can play reserves in the Bundesliga and focus everything they've got on this. Now, I don't know if they're still alive in the German Cup uh, with the possibility of trouble. I'm not sure about that. But they can focus everything here on this match and the rest of the Champions League if they do indeed progress. But on the other side of that, it's, it's kind of an iffy situation. Yeah, right now, 1-1, you have the away goal. Right now, at the start of the, ma- the return match, that score line is just fine and dandy if you're Bayern Munich. You take a goals draw, and say, thank you very much, we're through to the semifinals. But there's a hazard in that. It, it, when you play for a draw, that's the best you're going to get. So it, it, it's, it's an interesting situation. It's going to be very interesting to see how Bayern play it uh, in terms of, obviously, in terms of team selection and what their design is as far as, are they going to go out and say, hey, we're going to win this, we're going to take care of business and put, the, put these people in our rearview mirror as quickly as we can, put this thing to bed before halftime? Or are they going to be content to say, hey, we'll take the goal as draw? It's going to be very interesting to see what Pep Guardiola does tactically as well as his team selection. Now, Manchester United, on the other hand, have a bit of a quandary, too. Obviously, winning the league is gone. That's not going to happen. But the question becomes, is fourth place the league still a realistic possibility? Yeah, they can still get there. Uh, I'll have to look and see what the uh, what the, the table stands as far as how far uh, how far out of that fourth spot they are. Let me see if I can get the uh, the table up here. Uh, it's not quick. too horrible. It's not too horrible. No, no the they bill. are they are sitting in seventh, and they are ten points behind Arsenal, and they have six matches to play. That's our seven matches to play. That, that, that's could, doable because our, Arsenal is be falling apart. Right, Arsenal are slipping. Uh, Everton are doing right. Spurs have had, hit, hit a bit of a rough patch too. It, it's possible. So, so now here, here's your dilemma for David Boyce. How much do you devote to trying to go and get a result in Munich because you obviously need to get at least a goal. You have a one-nil win in Munich. You're through. It, it's that simple. Uh, 
because of course then the point is okay well you get one mil up like you did, let's say what happens today happens in the return happens to, like happened today you get the one mil but then you come back and equalize then what do you do you're sitting completely level both teams have an away goal you're staring penalty kicks in the face you're staring extra time in the face and maybe penalty kicks what do you do do you make that push to try to get that second goal because the, 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 if you do you force Bayern to score two obviously, because you've got two away goals now. But then again, you've also got the league to deal with. You've still got seven league matches. There's a possibility of getting to that force by I said before, right now, you know, a couple weeks ago, that the only way Manchester United are getting back to the Champions League next year is to win it this year. Now, that might not be the case. But David Moyes and Pep Guardiola really have quandaries in terms of not only the return match, but in Moyes' case, how do I approach this vis-a-vis the rest of the league season? Yeah, this is, it's going to be really interesting to see how Moyes handles this in terms of what does he place a priority on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, and the, I was interested. I, 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 got to, I got to because I figured out what this whole NBC Live Extra thing was finally this week. And I got I got to pull it up. I got to pull up all the games, which is I got I gotta say I got to give my one, only one critique to NBC Live, and this is gonna make everybody laugh. It's the perfect app for someone that's ADD. Because you have so much, you can bounce between game to game to game to game to game, and you have and you have all the highlights. I was able to watch three or four games this weekend. The thing that's sad to me about Man U being low this year is that they are kind of the afterthought on the weekend. And it's weird that this is happening on a year that we finally can watch everything on live TV of the EPL. Because for so long, and you can attest to this too, Man United has been the only thing we've been able to watch. And now it's like... Yeah, there were- Oh, we've got Spurs. We got this. We got this. Oh, in the Man United game, that's weird. Well, it, it is rather strange, but at the same time, if we were under a similar structure prior to NBC Sports coming in and doing all the games, you'd probably see a similar effect. You probably wouldn't be seeing as much of Manchester United. You, they're going to put on who gets the most eyeballs to the TV set and who's up there in contention for the title and for the Champions League places. <clears throat> this is no different than what happens here in central Ohio during the NFL season. Yeah, Browns fans outnumber Bengals fans, but by the time you hit October, the Browns are pretty much dead and buried for the season, and they switch from coverage. The CBS affiliate here switches from carrying the Browns games to the Bengals games because they've got the better team, the better record, the better chance of getting into the playoffs. It's no, it's no different, yeah. The fact you can see all the now changes, I think people are going to people are going to be more inclined to watch who they want. But yeah, obviously the residue of that is they're not going to be necessarily looking as much at Manchester United because of their position in the table. And, oh, and a note on that, by the way, uh, Arsenal, Everton, and Spurs, the two, the three teams ahead of them, fourth, fifth, and sixth, only Everton have a match in hand over Manchester United. The, so the others, uh, they're at sixty points, only six up on Man U. So. It's not like Manchester United is trying to catch a team like uh, like City, which has a couple of matches in hand. Uh, they've only played 30. So the fact they've played as many games 
as the tees ahead of them is also going to help as far as uh, uh, as far as the run in uh, to try to chase that four spot. Plus the fact they've got a little bit easier schedule as well. Yeah. Now, are you? I'm gonna I'm gonna dip the Liverpool stuff. Are you convinced by Liverpool? Because I I I'm worried. I'm worried about the the Man City game. I'm convinced now. I would say before I thought Chelsea would still win the league, but now after seeing what Chelsea has done two of the last three weeks, uh, I it's Liverpool's to lose. It really is. The, everything, it, everything Brendan Rodgers has touched has turned to gold. Uh, he's done everything right. He's got a terrific team. Uh, I I don't see Liverpool losing the league right now. I, I, it's, it's the title the title is theirs. Uh, yeah, Chelsea, it, it's hard to believe I'm saying that because the, what's happened to Chelsea, you know, to lose to Crystal Palace, if that, that shouldn't happen. As bad as some of the results Manchester United have had, they have not lost to a team that far down the table uh, other than West Brom. It, it's, it's, that shouldn't happen. If, if you're going to win the league, you shouldn't be losing to teams like West Brom and Crystal Palace. It's that simple. So I... <laughs> Liverpool, up right now, they're in the driving seat, and I don't see anybody dislodging them. Well, I, I mean, I, I know Mourinho has always said, and I don't think this is just normal just talking to hear his mouth talk, is that he has said for a while that he needs another year to get this team to back to where it is. I'm just, the only thing I have a problem with, it would be great to see Liverpool win the title this year. It would, it would be great. I have two fears with this. One, if they actually do win it, that Steven Gerrard will walk away. But he's got every, he's got every other title. I mean, he's got a UEFA, yeah. he's got a Champions League, a UEFA Cup, he's got all the other cups. Yes. Is that yeah, he, he might just say, screw it. And he might just yeah. say, screw it and, and, walk, and go into coaching because he's made it well known that his end all is to coach Liverpool is that he yeah. does eventually want to coach Liverpool in some capacity. Well, that's not what, that's not what Daniel Craig wants him to do. <laughs> oh, you, oh, I was going to say, did you hear that story? No. Did, did Daniel Craig thinks Steven Gerrard will make a good James Bond one day. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I really yeah. wouldn't disagree with that at all. But I... The only thing I sit would say about Steven Gerrard is I don't think he's that much of a celebrity to pull that off. He doesn't appear, well, he doesn't have that that appearance to want to be in the limelight. No, I, I'm sure he was Craig was being a bit facetious. Craig, Craig for those of you who are thinking of Craig the actor is a very is a big Liverpool supporter, which shocks me though because he was born in Manchester. I'll never understand that one. But I think he was Speaking at least partially tongue in cheek when he said that, but yeah, Gerard is. You're right. Gerard basically he wants to be the Liverpool manager one day. I'm sure he'd be a very good manager. Uh, but yeah, what you say there, there's some there's some possibility to it. There there really is, and uh, especially for a guy who you know, let's. And I'm not saying he's slipping or anything. He isn't. But you know, you watch him play. He's changed his role a little bit. Uh, certainly he's a lot closer to the end of his career than the beginning. Yeah, it's possibly like, say, you know, I've, I, now I've won everything. I can walk away from this and start you know, getting my coaching life, start working my way up the ranks. But yeah, if he were to do that, that's a big void to fill. You know, ask, uh, 
You asked me and you how tough it was to fight you kept after Roy Keane left. Well, yeah, I mean, and the other thing that's kind of sad about this is that Jim Terrier retired last year. He's yeah. not going to get to see. He's not going to get to see a title as a player now. It's a little too late for them to to register him because God forbid. I mean, Liverpool's had enough damn defensive help that I'm sure they piqued his interest at least once or twice. Saying, <laughs> get back here! Get back here! We know you don't have your legs anymore, but get back here! Um, that that's the thing. I mean. Also, the other thing is weird is that this would be the first year after Alex Ferguson retires that they win the title. This might hold some credence to the whole debate that Manchester United was the Liverpool of the 90s. That once he walked away, Liverpool got back. Yeah, and this is something that I, I read this um, somewhere, I can't remember whose school wrote it uh, exactly, but you, you, you look at the post-war era for the most part, that it's been one club, when one club has been at the peak, the other one's been down a little bit. You know, it, it's, you know, it, you know, it, it's alternated back and forth. You know, certainly Liverpool had their huge successes in the 80s and the early 90s, and then, man, you had its rise up, and Liverpool slipped back a bit. We've never seen... Very few people have seen a case of your Manchester and Liverpool going nose to nose at the top of the table, whatever league it's been. And uh, there are people who say you know, this: we might be seeing that churn again right now. Uh, certainly, uh, even if Steven Gerrard were to retire or when he finally does retire, um, I don't see any you know, slippage from Liverpool right now. I think they've got a, they've got a great thing going. Everything's pointing in the right direction. Your Manchester United, they're going to need another, at least another year or two to get things put back together, and certainly this summer will be a huge part of that. So um, yeah, that's been an interesting part of the dynamic between these two, the two most successful teams in England you, in, in, since World War II. You haven't seen an instance where both clubs have been at, at pretty similar levels. Now, are we for sure known that um, Giggs is retiring at the end of this year? Um, I don't know. I really don't know for certain. Um, he probably should. Uh, I think it would be best if he did, uh, because it's uh, yeah, there, there's a fact, uh, well, I just pulled up a story from uh, the Guardian website um, that uh, there's there's uh, that David Moyes is uh, uh, apparently going to wait until the end of the year before decide to offer him a new one year contract. And um, and that's something Giggs has been doing the last few years. Usually by now, he has signed a new one-year deal, uh, but he hasn't been offered that deal yet uh, at this point in the season. And uh, you know, obviously, there's going to be changes made. And um, you know, he hasn't played a whole lot this year. He's already working uh, in coaching uh, this season. So uh, I mean, he's all, right now. Uh, Giggs uh, only started 13 matches, uh, and again the, the match he started in the Champions League in that uh, the round of 16 against the Olympiacos, the first time he started a match in two months. Uh, he's been in the team a lot, but he hasn't been used that that much. So uh, it could be his his hand, based on what I'm seeing from this again. This is from the Guardian website. This was uh, put out earlier today. Um, 
that uh, it might not necessarily be Gideon's decision. And, you know, if Moyes decides, hey, I'm not offering you another deal, I'd be very interested to see what Gates decides to do in terms of his coaching. Would, would he be willing to stay on under those circumstances? Who knows? But I guess we'll we'll see once the season ends, it looks like, based on what uh, the Guardian is reporting here. Would you, as a as a Columbus crew fan, take him in the midfield right now? Um, I'm not sure right now. I it's and I part and I and, and part of me is saying that because of, of all the reports say, talk about how well the crew are playing with the, with some of these new players. Uh, I don't. I, I'm not. I don't think uh, Giggs would have too much trouble playing in MLS. But I just think right now, uh, with the crew have an awfully good thing going with it. I wouldn't mess with it if I'm Greg Berhalter right now. Uh, certainly uh, to win for the second straight year in Seattle, uh, as they did this past weekend, uh, a big accomplishment to give them their first, first time they've won their first three games uh, of the season in club history. And, uh, and it's funny, reading some of the quotes uh, afterwards, um, you, a lot of the stuff from the uh, from uh, Greg Berhalter's out said, yeah, this was good, but we can, we still got room to improve. We got all this going. And it was the usual uh, Belichick-esque uh, comment. But Federico Iguain had a great line. He said, we were the superior team tonight, and because of that, we won the game. Uh, it, you have to admire a guy with that kind of confidence, especially one who can deliver, as Iguain has done over and over since he came to the crew. So my thinking on that would be more in terms of I don't want to see what they've got going on messed up. Uh, you know, Gigby could play in MLS. There's no question. I don't think he's going to. I don't. I've never seen anything where he's expressed a desire to do that. Um, it'd be great. It'd be great for MLS if he did. But I just, I just don't see it. You know, I think he'll. If he plays, he'll only be for one more year with Man U. And as I said with that article in the Guardian, it's uh, not 100 percent certain that he'll do that. No, I mean, as for, are you surprised with uh, are you surprised with the crew? Now I know this is very early days. You can't really commit. Look at the end of the season with this. I mean, are you are you surprised that the crew are this good right away? Oh yes, this is a big surprise. You know, there's been so many changes, uh, especially in the back. Uh, the two big ones, the two big ones that they made and uh, have been uh, the two center backs. Uh, Giancarlo Gonzalez, as well as um, uh, Michael Parkhurst, and uh, Gonzalez is a big, uh, a big surprise. He stepped right into that center back role. Chad Marshall has been playing and filled in admirably. It's uh, uh, the style is different. And, you know, people watching it say this: it just looks different. It just seems different in terms of the attitude and the way they're playing. Yeah, this is a big surprise because everybody figured, you know, this is going to be. A year of transition, a year of change. Maybe that you know, people are calling rebuilding or not. But I figure this would be a, a middle of the pack year. Don't expect too much. It takes time for a new coach to bring with with new calls. So many new players, but so far everything's clicked into place. And while yeah, yeah, it's definitely early. But I'll tell you, to have a hundred percent record after three weeks, you're definitely got a whole lot better chance of getting into those playoff places than if you have to play catch up in September and October. Believe me, it's a lot easier playing from the front like this. And, uh, you know, there is a long way to go, but so far the, the early signs are encouraging. Yeah, it's a big surprise, and I think this is this will be a big help 
especially when uh, the warmer weather hits, and uh, hopefully this will help in terms of the attendance. Hopefully the uh, and also it hopes of maybe the uh, the TV uh, controversy being uh, at least calming down, if not out, not settled, to make more people happy. Oh, I would I would hope so. I would hope so, hundred percent. Because yeah, I mean, oh, did Russ call in? Are are you reading my mind again, Russ? Because I was just about to ask you. I was about to message you to come on. <laughs> hey, Russ. I'm- I'm glad you called us because I, I saw something a couple. I saw the game and I saw something else uh, online. That I definitely wanted to ask you about. Sure. Yeah, I watched. I watched the Fulham match, and even they lost. I have to tell you, I was very impressed with the way Fulham played throughout the entire game in terms of the attitude and the effort and the work rate. This didn't look like a team that was resigned to being relegated. And no, while, not at all. And. and it's, a, it's still a possibility, but I'm going to tell you something. I, this may sound a little crazy to you, but I think Felix Magath might be your long-term answer as manager. <laughs> something is different about this club with him running the show. I don't know it what is. it is. You know, he's got the specification with saving calls for relegation. While he might not do it there, I think this might be – with the team they have, this might be the perfect manager for 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 the long term. And I think if Fulham were to go down, if if the gap can make whatever changes he feels necessary, I don't think it's a very long stay in the championship. You know what? You you make you make group, uh, very good points, Keith. And it's funny watch, watching the match and uh, on Sunday was uh, was uh, you know again very very good in so many ways because the performance was was what you saw. It was uh, it was a team that was up for the fight. And uh, after the match, again, I did not see this. I had many fans tell me who were actually there, and, and we talked about it on a post-match show. Several of the players were, were in tears after the match because they understood the importance of it. Plus, they gave everything that they could in that match. And to play the, the way that they played and lose is a, was a difficult uh, pill to swallow because, again, you're, you're playing against Everton. Everton is really a team on the rise, and uh, – and it just shows, even at its best, and Fulham were really played probably one of the best matches of the season. Uh, a team like Everton can still beat you because they have more talent and they they took advantage of their opportunities. The shot difference. They also have something to play for. They're sitting in that fourth, that last Champions League spot right now, and that makes a difference too. They did, and and that's what you know. And again, that's what made the match so interesting. Was um, was was how Fulham played in the first half. I th- I thought they were the better side, but once we got to, got to the half, and I and I and I looked on social media, and the thought was going through my mind: Have they, you know, have they blown their opportunity to win this match by not scoring in the first half? And uh, it turned out to be true because uh, again, they they had some quality opportunities to score. When you're a team like Fulham, you have to score, especially against Everton. And they had some goals, you know, again, that were, that were fortunate. The luck was on their side as well because they had some good situations for themselves. And Fulham didn't have enough of those situations. And, uh, unfortunately, they came on, on, on the other end of it. But, but uh, you bring up the point about, about Felix. And uh, I will tell you that I am convinced that Felix is the long-term solution, at least for, for this season and, and next season, whether we are in the championship, whether we are in the Premier League, I think he has an idea of how to get through to this this team that 
that Muenstein and Yoel before him could not do. Um, and that's what's interesting. It, you know, I, I, I can see it starting to form. I could see you saw what I saw. You, you saw a team that was fully committed for, for 90 minutes, and I hadn't seen that this often. You know, and when you're playing a team like Everton, even even at home, you have to be worried um, about their, you know, again about what they can offer offensively. And um, Fulham played a, just a really good style of football, especially in the first half. And like I said, you know, anyone that watched it was probably probably didn't think that that was a relegation team out there because they certainly didn't play it. And what's crazy, Keith, is that is that he's playing all these young youngsters up front. So basically the mix has been up front, he's going with, with a bunch of youngsters, and in back you're going with experienced players. And, and then he also made the change. The change in goalkeeper I think has been huge because Martin Stecklenburg really ha- has, not, has not been good. So he made the change to Stockdale. You put all those things together and you have a good performance. Now that was difficult. That was difficult to talk about when we, you know, again, when I did my post-match show is because we left thinking, you know what, Fulham played probably their best match of the season, and, and they still lost. But, yeah. but listen, they have six matches left, and uh, is, there, you know, is there a chance that they could stay up? Yeah, there, there is a chance. It, it, it's difficult. It would take a great escape, too, to pull it off. But uh, if you look at the fixtures and you look at the fixtures of the, of the teams around Fulham, there's actually a chance there, but they have to win. They have to actually win at Aston Villa, a team they've already beaten this season. Then they have three home matches that are all winnable against Norwich, Hull, and Crystal Palace. And honestly, guys, if they don't win all three of those, they don't deserve to be in the Premier League. So you have, you have matches that they can win. They will be on the road against Stoke, and they will also be on the road at Spurs. But we've all seen what's going on with Spurs. They're a little bit of a mess right now, so who knows what can happen there? So there are six matches that Fulham actually have something to play for. And, you know, again, I, I, listen, I see fans talk about, well, well, let's prepare for the championship. I'm like, hell no. You don't prepare for the championship now until you're mathematically down. You're not down yet. You have something exactly. to fight for. You know, and, exactly. and the players showed that against Everton. Again, you know, when you have that max effort, that, that full need to stay up, when you grind and you fight, that gives me hope for this week. Fulham are, are bringing probably their biggest away crowd in a very long time to Villa. You know, it's completely sold out for, the, you know, for those away seats. And uh, it's going to be a raucous crowd there going. You know, again, Fulham don't usually bring – we don't have the reputation of bringing a very large away crowd. But, but I'm telling you, they will be in it, and the players will have that support, and hopefully – Hopefully they can get all three points. If they don't get all three points, then it just keeps it keeps getting tougher and tougher. And but if they get all three points, Keith, um, look out because again the opportunity is right there for them. Yeah, it, it's definitely doable. I I I, I want to dig, digress a little bit here. Uh, <clears throat> you know, if you know me, I, I pay a lot of attention to college sports as well. So those, I'm sure everybody's aware about uh, last week's uh, National Labor Relations Board ruling. Uh, on Northwestern University's football players uh, agreeing that they are indeed university employees. Uh, obviously, that was just step one of a long process. It's going to go through all the way through the National Labor Relations Board. 
It's going to go through Congress. It'll go through the Supreme Court. It's going to be a seven to ten year deal because no, the NCAA. I know how they operate, and the simple fact is they're going to dig in their heels and fight it all the way with that same attitude of we think that student athletes should be treated this way because well that's what we think should be done. And uh, but the point of emphasis I want to make that that everybody seems to forget, a lot of people seem to forget, is this is not about getting money for these guys. Okay, yeah, you know, King Colton, the former Northwestern quarterback, who's basically who basically led this whole thing as a good quarterback should do, has talked about. You know, this is about you know, about protecting the players' rights, protecting the players' health, things of that nature. As he pulled, when he was being interviewed on Outside the Lines this past Sunday on ESPN, when he he mentioned the phrase "a seat at the table." The things that go on in the NCAA, whatever change you want to talk about, with the TV contracts, conference changes, whatever the case may be, the athletes have no say so in it whatsoever. Nothing at all. And I'm getting the soccer on this, but what happens? What's going to happen eventually is the NCAA is going to be told. You've got to change the system, whether it be the Supreme Court, whether it be Congress, or some combination of the two. It's going to happen eventually. There is no way this, this model as it is can be sustained. And so when the athletes have a say-so in the matter, that's when you're going to see things change. And for soccer, this could be something of importance. Now, again, in Italy, this is something, when this all changes, the people who are going to benefit right now are – Newborns to say third graders right now, as we speak. Kids in high school right now aren't going to benefit. Kids in middle school right now aren't going to benefit. It's going to take that long because of the process of appeals to the NLRB and the lawsuits that are going to come as a result of it. But here's a chance when this finally does come down. Here's a chance for soccer players to stand up and make a change. And we've talked about this before. One of the big handicaps that a college soccer player has, yeah, they get drafted by MLS, but the problem is the rules of the game make it difficult because you've got the open substitution in, in college soccer. And what I'm hoping we'll see one day when this all does come down is that the players stand up and say, hey, look, well, a lot of us here came to college as another way to try to become professionals. We didn't get to go through the youth system like a lot of people because we couldn't afford to pay all those all that money. We had to go and work, go through high school, maybe a smaller club, and we had to earn a college scholarship for a chance to play here in college in hopes that maybe somebody at MLS or another pro league would notice us because we didn't come through the other, the other setup. In order to improve our chances, we need rules that are more compatible with let's play at a professional level. Playing under these rules handicaps us in terms of our player development. We need the rules to be changed so it's more, these college games are more like professional games which will in turn make us better players and give us a better chance to show our skills to the professional leagues. I really hope this is something that somebody will take notice of one of these days when all of this shakes out. And as I said, it's going to take seven to ten years because, I, because of the fact that the NCAA is going to fight it tooth and nail every step of the way through the appeals, through the courts, and through Congress. And... It, it, it's not, you know, it, again, it's not about money, and it shouldn't be because there's no, the, the colleges aren't going to be able to pay the players. That, that just isn't going to happen. Uh, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way. I don't think they should. But, but the players need, student athletes need a voice and need the opportunity to be treated like the other students because right now they aren't in spite of what the NCAA says. And if you don't believe me, go check out the latest iPad commercial, which includes the Ohio State University marching band. 
if what the NCAA says is true about the student-athlete is no different from any other student, that Braxton Miller, the Ohio State quarterback, ought to be able to do a commercial too. But he can't. Why? Because Mark Emmert says he can't, even though he's supposedly a student like everybody else. But this is, this is an important thing for the student-athlete to have a say-so in how things are done. It's important for all of them, and for soccer players in particular, I think it's something they should campaign for when they finally get the opportunity because the college system, coming out of college, makes it, it, the transition from the college game to a professional game is so difficult because of the way the rules are set up. And not everybody can go through these top-level youth club pay-to-play programs that get them into things like the ODPs and the under twenty three and the uh, the underage national team pools. Not everybody can do that, whether it be financially, whether it be they just get didn't, didn't get noticed, or somebody just didn't think they were good enough. It's another chance, another avenue to try to get into professional soccer as a player. But the transition from that is more difficult than it is for these high-level club teams or academies or whatever the case may be. So, it's, it, again, on the surface, soccer might not seem like a big part of it because it's not really a big part as far as what the NCAA is doing right now. But you know, it, it can, there, there can be an impact on college soccer and make it, uh, make it something where, because I know a lot of people at times want to say college soccer is useless, and the rules, the rules are admittedly a handicap to the development of a college soccer player, but again, somebody who goes through, doesn't get a chance to go through a high-level youth travel program doesn't have much other option in terms of trying to get noticed for, for some sort of professional league. So hopefully somewhere down the road, somewhere in the you know, 2025, 20, 2030, when the players are finally there, student athletes are told, okay, you've got to say so in this. What, 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 what do you want to see change? Hopefully, this is something somebody will bring up. Well, well you, know, you know who this is going to actually help? Russ's kids. Because Russ's kids are just at the age where this is going to, is going to help them. Yeah, Russ, I mean, he's I, absolutely right. Russ, you start, when your kids start understanding this stuff, you, you talk to them and tell them, hey, this is something you, you need to think about when you, get, when you get to college because things are not going to be like they are now once they get there. No, listen, I, I, to, I totally uh, agree with you guys. And, um, listen, hopefully I'll be sending Brady to the Fulham Academy someday, but that's a dream. Hey, that'd, be, that'd be great, yeah. <laughs> that's oh, a no, dream. No, 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 he doesn't have to worry about that because now that Boca Juniors wants to have a um, team here in the States, he just, ha- he just has to tr- – Drive down the street to the next Boca Junior USA, wherever they're going to play. I mean, the 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 other thing, and since we got the last ten minutes of the show, I do want to highlight what we have coming up. Tentatively, we got scheduled in two weeks. Carly Lloyd is going to come on. We'll we'll figure out when that is. Next week is someone I've wanted to have on for three years. Actually, it's Carter Cashneiner. Two reasons why I'm having him on. He has a book out about. Supporting a team in England, but before before the explosion of talent, he has a book, uh, Blue Moon. He's he's a well noted Manchester City fan, and I wanted to bring him on to talk about that because I listened to him on his show, World Soccer Talk at Sports Byline USA. I'm still surprised that network is still around. I mean, the fact that Ron Barr is still alive still surprises me also. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I looked that up the other day because I listen, I listen to sports, I listen to World Soccer Talk at night, and they said they were on Sports Byline, and I remember that from the 90s. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm much younger than both of you guys, 
And I, I remember going to sleep listening to Ron Barr all night. I was I'm like, there's no way in hell this guy is still alive because he was ancient when I was a kid. Now, ancient when I was 10 was 45, so I'll be, I'll, I'll be feeling, feeling a little like that. So he brought up on his show, he does a show, he's one of the hosts of World Soccer Talk at 9 o'clock on Sports Byline. I want to have him on about that. He's also in, he also worked with the NASL and knows a lot of people down there. So having him having him on and hopefully coming up, we do have the Wilmington Hammerheads coming up. I mean, we're still in talking, and of course we always have Russ on at the seven thirty out half hour. So we can always <laughs> we get our daily dose of the lower part of the EPL, which is sad that Fulham is down there. They should be up higher because. They're be- they're a better story than uh, they're a better story than Spurs or Chelsea, but that's I'm just I'm just biased with that. Um, the other thing is, um, I know you are an MLS fan, Russ. I yeah. posed this question I posed this question to Keith, and I was going to plot it, but we got off on one of our rants. One of the people one of the teams people are surprised about is the Columbus Crew. What have you been surprised about both watching the MLS this year? Well, yeah. Um, to be honest with you, Stephen, I've I've been concentrating on on the Revs so far. So I've, you know, th- that has been a team that I've been watching a great deal. But 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 um, but I have noticed um, Keith's team, and I, and I'm really happy for Keith's team. I I think it'd be great to see Columbus really uh, do well. I think it's important for the MLS to ha- to have teams in the Midwest do well. I, I I do. You know, again, I I'm I'm a big proponent for for a team to be in St. Louis, but that's for another discussion because I think that would be greater Minneapolis. Uh, but but I think Columbus would be a, a good place for, you know, again, to, for a side to do really well. I, I you know, again, Keith, I'm I'm pulling for your side again, unless you're playing playing the Revs. But uh, right, but. Uh, <laughs> But what's interesting about the Revs, and I'll just tell you real quickly about the Revs. And, you know, again, I, Keith, Keith and I were talking last week about the article. Forget about the article for now. Just talk about what's on the pitch. What's What's interesting is that, uh, you know, they they play three matches. They look terrible against uh, against Houston in the opener. Um, I, I think the jo- the Jose Gonzalez situation really was a factor there. He has looked like, it, you know, like in the player that we watched last season, the last two matches. And what's interesting is watching the Revs on, on I guess you could say a natural surface is so much better than watching it on an artificial surface. I'll just leave it at that because I actually enjoyed the match. I stayed up late. I, I had a phone call, Stephen, with the people over, um, at TalkSport. They wanted to talk to me about phone late Saturday night. So then the Revs started at 1030, and then I'm watching the Revs, and they're playing out in San Jose. And to actually win – there, I, I, I want to say it was the first time. I think they said like in 21 matches that they've that uh, that they've lost there. So, some crazy stat, and, uh, and and it was pretty it, it was pretty great to just just to see the level of play because again, I remember watching them last year. You know, and again they, they started off very slow, but what they showed me against San Jose on the road is uh, is a team that I expect them to be this year. You know, again, a, a team that can really attack, but the key is going to be that that uh, that back four with Gonzalez. If he is going to be the player that that was, you know, that was for the Revs last year, 
then they're going to be a dangerous team this season. I, I, I finally saw the team that I was watching last season in, in the third match. I think it took a little bit for them to really start gelling again. And, uh, and I'm t- very attacking, very, very threatening. I like Teal Bunbury up front. And uh, Diego Fagundes really hasn't done much yet, and uh, you know eventually he's going to get going. So it's uh, again, I'm just giving you the revs, the revs perspective. Of what's going on, Stephen? Cool. I mean, that's one of the that's one of the great things with having with having shows. We can we can broadcast and talk to anybody at any time. Um, have you seen much of DC United this year? Um, I have not. Um, but I can tell you this. Uh, um, the Revs are playing DC United this, you know, this weekend. So, uh, so I'll, you know, I'll obviously let you know what I think of them after that match. But no, I, ha- I have not. I'm, I'm curious to see how they look. Yeah, it's, it's one of those ones I'm surprised about because ah, I just completely blanked. Um, Keith, didn't aren't you guys play? Didn't you guys play them like a couple weeks ago? Yeah, it was the opener in, in, at RFK Stadium, and the crew won a place they very rarely won. So that was, uh, you know, wasn't a good start for DC. It hasn't improved a whole lot. So you had to get the, you know, for the crew, it was great to go in there and get that that first win in a place that's always been a tough for them to win. Can, can, can um, Don Garber pull out? And I don't know if he even has this. A best interest of the game, DC United out of RFK Stadium. That thing should have been bulldozed about four years ago. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, that damn no thing should have been bulldozed about four years ago. Steve, Nothing against Steve, Steven, I agree with you, but but I don't think Don I, I don't think Don Garber's gonna get involved with that. I don't think he's gonna get involved with the situation with the Revs. I think it, I hear what you're saying. Both clubs need to move. Uh, but it's more complicated than you think I'm you know, again I am I've been learning about the situation with the Revs. You know, I'm very frustrated because they've been talking about it for five years. And, yeah, uh, DC has been having their issues too. I mean, they're supposedly very close. Yeah. Uh, the problem for DC, the problem for DC United has been location. You know, right. getting a location. You know, there there had been some talk about you know su- suburbs about Landover. So they talked about there was one story I saw that, that about we were going down to Baltimore. Or something. You know, a lot of people they wanted to stay in the District of Columbia, and that's not an easy thing to do. And that's what they've been having to. That's been the biggest thing they've had to fight against uh, in terms of getting their own stadium. Yeah, it's it, 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 now. I was just going to say, Stephen, it's tough because because Steve because uh, Keith brings up the point that's that's a similar situation for the refs because some of the MLS clubs have 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 uh, bought have. Uh, basically built soccer-specific stadiums, but in the suburbs. You don't want that. You want it to be more more urban, and that's what that's what the Reds are trying to do. It sounds like that's what D.C. United are trying to do, and it becomes a land issue, especially for, for both for both teams. So I, I kind of understand it, but, it, but it, yes, it, it's very frustrating. Yeah, well, but we we all we all know, and I wrote this for World Football Weekly. Um, it's a new it's a new website over in um, Newcastle that the soccer don is more interested in the shiny happy thing of David Beckham at Orlando City than DC United. And I was gonna, I was going to bring up this point that I think with what the problem with DC United is that they don't have a former overrated new 
Manchester United midfielder that's willing to stand out there in his underpants and make all the gr- make all the girls go happy about it. because it, it it makes me mad that United DC United and the Revolution two of the originals are made to suffer like this. Well, yet well, well, no, got, listen, I I hear you, but, no, I was going to say I I hear you, and and the issue is you know again. Uh, I've heard this discussion about 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 MLS. I guess you could say now 3.0, and that and that the Revolution and uh, and DC United are 1.0. And 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 yes, it, it almost feels like they're being left behind. And uh, you know, it's on it, it's on them to get it done. And that's you know, I, I I hear hear what you're saying. Listen, Stephen, you only you only have a couple minutes left. I'll, I'll let you wrap up the show. I w- I will tell you this and. Uh, and I'll give you my prediction. Liverpool's winning the league, and I'll just leave, leave it at that, my friend. Well, if, if Russ Goldman can see that, and he's the most positive man in when it comes to soccer, I'm going to book it already that Manchester that <laughs> Liverpool is winning. Wow, I just almost slipped. I'm so used to saying that at the top. But anyway, I start want to believing, my yelling. friend. Start, start believing. It's in your hands. If they beat Manchester City, I'm telling you, you're going to win the league. I don't think they can beat Man City. That's the only problem. But anyway, yes, I you can. I've seen Bird. both teams play. Yes, you can, Stephen. Start believing, my friend. I'll, I wanna, I'll, I'll I let you guys finish up. Burns, I want to thank Mariana Bernstein of the CEO of Boca Juniors for coming on and being excellent. Thank Russ Goldman of Cottage Talk and Patriots 4th and 2. And we will talk to you guys next week with Cardiff Cashner.